verses 1 to 5. Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Where we're at today. What the Lord Jesus is going to deal with today is this whole issue of judging and passing judgment. And it's a difficult issue for us today. It's especially difficult that uh, you find yourself just in secular society making a comment about what you believe and somebody pipes up and says, well, don't judge me. You have no right to judge my way. My way is as good as your way. How dare you judge me and uh, disrespect me that way? Well, the issue here is what does God have to say about us judging other people and what's going on with all that? That's the issue. Uh, and it's a difficult one for us to wrap our head around. I'm going to be going to different passages of Scripture and stuff. Please hang in there with me and go with me. And we need to put together the picture of the Bible. So we're going to see what this says. And then we have to branch out and correlate that with what the rest of Scripture says about this issue. So that we can understand what Jesus means uh, by what he says. This passage says not to judge. All right, now if I, if I just take that at face value, do not judge so that you will not be judged. Do not judge. That would mean I would never make a judgment ever in my life. I wouldn't judge myself and I wouldn't judge others. Uh, but there's an issue with that because Jesus himself in the book of Matthew uh, passes judgment on a lot of people. Sometimes he judges that they have eternal life. Sometimes he judges that they're, they, they don't have eternal life. Sometimes he judges their sin. Why would he ask us not to do what he does? That's the issue. So let's listen carefully and figure this out. The Bible teaches that no matter what, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So we know for sure Jesus is going to judge us one day. Uh, us, as Christians, not for our salvation, but for deeds that we have done in, in this life that we shouldn't have, or we did works with the wrong motive, something like that. We will all be judged. So what is the Spirit of God telling us through Matthew when he says uh, very, very plainly, do not judge, uh, lest you be judged? We are to make judgments, however, we find out in the Bible. We are to make judgments in matters of things like church discipline, for instance. So how does that fit our passage? If God says, judge those who are in sin in the church, if I'm not to judge, then what is God talking about? How can I do both? I can't, all right? It's just not possible. I either don't judge or I do. So God, what are you saying? Obadiah 15, since there's only one chapter in Obadiah, verse 15 says this, For the day of Yahweh draws near on all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Now, I think that this is the issue that we're talking about today and what we're facing. It is not that we never pass judgment. It is to be careful about how we go about judging other people. And I would like to say even yourself, because we do judge ourselves. It also points this out in a summary statement. Obviously, uh, Matthew knew the Old Testament. Look what he says in verse 12. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. And that's exactly what the Obadiah 15 passage is teaching. So how we judge, Jesus is vitally interested in that issue. So let's read what he has to say in Matthew 7, starting in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Let's say I never judged anybody for anything, even myself. I know I'm going to be judged as a Christian. So I'm not going to escape all judgment if I don't judge somebody. So, Jesus, what are you saying? 
For in the way that you judge, you will be judged. Okay, that's, that's clearer. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. So if you judge everybody on a scale of 100% uh, perfection and people don't meet that, then God would say, I'm going to judge you on a scale of 100% perfection. Guess who doesn't meet that either? Well, I don't, all right? Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? So Jesus is painting this very vivid picture for us. There's two brothers facing each other. One of them is going after the other's sin. And Jesus said, you know, you have a log in your own eye, and there's this little speck in your brother's eye. What gives you the right to call out your brother when you have so much more sin in your life? That's a good question. Verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. See what happened there? What do you mean don't judge? Does that mean never judge? No. He says it's about the way you judge, because he just told us at the end of verse 5, once you deal with your own sin... Once you take that log out of your own eye, then, then you're in a position where you can help your brother with his sin that is rather minute compared to what you had. All right, He's, that's the speck part of it. All right, so let's look at this. Do not judge so that you will not be judged, in verse 1. If this were meant that we would be forbidden to all judgments, no matter what, on others or ourselves, how would we then figure out how to judge those who need church discipline? I want to turn to a passage where uh, Paul lays this out pretty, pretty clearly for us in 1 Corinthians 5. And our goal is to basically understand that God does call us to judgments. And here's a problem in the church in Corinth. It's a big one. Uh, there's a man committing incest. That means sex with a family member. And it says this, Paul says, he says, it is actually reported, and he's talking to the church in Corinth, that there is immorality among you, and immorality of such a kind that does not exist even among the Gentiles. And here it is that someone has his father's wife. It's an incestual relationship. You have become arrogant. So now he's talking about how did the church respond to this horrible sin? You became arrogant, and you have not mourned. See, sin should cause us to weep. Sin should cause us to be unhappy. And he says, you have not mourned, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, you're thinking, okay, why did that have to be removed from our midst? He's going to answer that. For I, on my part, absent in the body, Paul says, I'm not there at the church with you, but present in spirit. And this gets serious. I've already judged him who has so committed this. As though I were present. Did Paul ever judge anyone? Yep. Well, I thought Jesus said, do not judge. Well, the issue is Jesus didn't say never make a judgment. It's, it's how we judge that is the issue. So he says, I, on my part, already judged him as though I was right there. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, so when you come together as a church, and I am with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to hand such a one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of our Lord Jesus. You realize that Paul has asked the Lord Jesus Christ to put this man to death? And that's where Paul handed him as an apostle. And that's obviously what had happened with this person. It's serious. Verse 6. Paul speaks to the church again. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven 
leavens the whole lump of dough. So now he says the church is a big lump of dough, and we have this sinful leaven in the midst of the church, and it's going to affect the entire lump of dough, the entire church, if you don't deal with it. So he says, clean out the old leaven. Now Paul's already on the way to doing that, so that you may be a new lump, a lump of clay, uh, or I'm sorry, of a dough, just as you have in fact uh, for being unleavened for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, the sin nature, uh, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, which is what this man was doing, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or with idolaters, for, when, for then you would have to leave the world. If I told you not to associate with sinners like that, you'd have to get out of the world. There's no way to escape them. But actually, Paul says, I wrote to you not to associate, listen to this, with any so-called brother, somebody that says they're a Christian. If he is an immoral person, a covetous person, an idolater, a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. You know what? You can't do that if you don't make a judgment about this person's life. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Did you get that? It's not our job to judge the people of the world. We don't judge outsiders. Paul says, do you not judge those who are within the church? The answer is yes. Rhetorical question. Yeah, that's the people we judge, not outsiders. But those who are outside, the unbelievers, God judges. So leave it to God. And then he says, remove this wicked man from among yourselves. And you can't do that if you didn't make a judgment that him committing incest is morally wrong. Now, while we're here, we're going to look at this uh, other times, but let's go to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Again, uh, just trying to show that uh, he, he commands us in other places to judge. Well, how do we judge? Here's another key element in verse 1, Galatians 6. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, he's talking about the Christians, not unbelievers. You who are spiritual, look, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. All right, so he is saying the reason that we're going to call this brother's or this sister's sin to attention is that we want them to repent so that they can be restored into the fellowship of the church. Mark 1.19 uses that word restored of fishermen mending their nets. We need to mend what's broken with that person. We need to try to get them back into the body, back into fellowship. Church discipline is about calling something out as sin and then helping a person get back into fellowship with the church where they're forgiven for whatever it was and they can be uh, among us and one of us uh, just like they used to be. One more, 2 Thessalonians. And we're going to look this time at chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction, and Paul is talking about the apostolic instruction of the New Testament, if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. And the purpose of that shame is that he comes back, admits his sin, asks forgiveness, and comes back. And then it says, now the Lord, I'm sorry, yet do not regard him as an enemy, don't treat him like he's an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. The idea is to get him to come back, to repent and come back. That's the whole idea, not to destroy the person. Uh, it has been said of Christians that we like to shoot our wounded. Well, we shouldn't like to shoot our wounded. We should try to restore them and bring them back. But you need to understand some people don't want to come back. 
Some people don't want to repent. Some people don't want to get it right. And that's when it becomes a problem. All right, so what we have established is, even though this text says do not judge, other texts say you must make judgments. So where, where does that leave us? I have heard Christians use this verse back in, in Matthew 7, uh, verse 1. I've heard Christians use this verse anytime somebody points out that they did something wrong. And so when they do something wrong and a brother or sister decides, you know, I love this person, I want them to come back, I want them to be where Christ wants them to be, and they say, hey, I just want to point out something, you know, not that I'm perfect, but I just want to point out this problem, something's wrong, and then they come back with, oh, do not judge. The Bible says do not judge. Who do you think you are judging me? Why would you judge me? The point is the Bible does not teach that we should not make judgments on our own life or in the lives of fellow believers. At issue here is not whether or not judgments can be made. It is the issue of what kind of judgments. There's a certain kind of judgment Jesus is saying, do not judge in that way. Do not. That's the wrong way to make judgments. It's about who is not to judge and who is to judge. However, it also is a good thing for us to remember that we should never enter into judgment lightly. How we judge another person has a direct bearing, according to this text, on what we will experience in our judgment from God. But let's be committed to the truth that God's judgments are always right, just, and good. So whatever God does in our judgment with us, our judgment is going to be perfect. We seldom have perfect judgment with each other in this world, and so we have to be careful. We know that God will give out judgments in kind, and it will be talionic justice. It'll be judgment that fits the crime. So along with what we're thinking here, Dr. Craig Keener excuse me, said this, we are objects of God's evaluation. That's the judgment part. We are objects of God's evaluation, and God evaluates most graciously the meek who recognize God alone as judge. So this passage is also calling on us to be humble, to be humble, not to be prideful. Verse 2 says, the way we judge is important to God, and our way will be used on us in judgment. It would be wrong to conclude that we'd be better off never making any judgment at all on anyone or anything. Some people say, well, if I don't want to be judged, I just don't judge anybody. Well, you know what, if you're a church leader and some, there's sin in the, in the body and it's going to affect the whole body, you have to make a judgment. You have to. You have to do something about it. And in order to do something, you have to decide what they're doing is wrong and, and it needs to stop. So it's not possible for us, or it shouldn't be possible for us to say, I'm just not going to judge anyone. That's not the point. The point is, how are you going to judge another person? That's the issue. And so God commands that sin be judged in our own life, and sometimes we have to judge ourselves and sometimes others. What we need to consider is how or the way we judge another person. Uh, that's what God's concerned about. God will judge us with the model of how we have judged others. So that's where things like mercy come in, love comes in, uh, a deep desire to reconcile, to resolve, to restore. And that was our goal in Galatians 6.1, restore in gentleness. What standard do we hold up in judgment? We have to ask ourselves that question because this is personal. It's personal. Is it, Greg, how, how you have judged people? God says, I'm going to judge you that way. And that's personal. And it's for each of us to decide how we're going to do that. 
It is, it, is, it is the measuring tape for the big one coming up when we are judged. And God will use those things. And so we, what standard we uphold is important. Are we bent on everyone else being perfect and we judge them for things that we ourselves are guilty of? That's, hypocr that's hypocrisy. That's not the kind of judgment God wants. All right, uh, what, is, what is our measuring tape for when we get measured? James chapter 2, verse 13 says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now that doesn't mean there should be no judgment. It means there should be mercy in judgment. That's what it means. We need to take into account that some issues are a matter of personal Christian freedom and not to be the objects of our judgment. Uh, one I've grown up with and lived with all my life is people pushing a Sabbath day on other people when the Bible clearly teaches that the church does not have a Sabbath day, and yet people push it on others. Romans 14, 1 through 8 says this, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. You don't woo him in like everything's going to be okay and then judge him to death. One person has the faith, notice faith is the key, that he may eat all things. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted them both. Who are you to judge the servant of another? All right, we have to be careful judging God's people because they belong to God, right? To his own master, that would be Jesus, he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. How? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person should be fully convinced in his own mind. So what he's saying is that there is no Sabbath, but if you want to have a special day, then you're going to be held responsible for keeping that special day. And if your brother doesn't have a special day and doesn't look at it as a Sabbath, they're going to be judged for, for believing that. There is no Sabbath, so don't judge over it. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. He who eats does it for the Lord. He who gives thanks to God does 